We'll turn your attention to Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 34. Uh, Brother Ron, you might turn that screen on back there behind you. I didn't turn that on tonight, and I keep looking up to see it, and I don't see nothing. (laughs) The scripture said, and Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. When the day was far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far spent. Send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the village and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. And he answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they said, Shall we go buy? Shall we go to Walmart, market basket, and buy 200 penny worth of bread and give them to eat? We addressed this scripture Sunday morning, but I felt to go back to it today. He said unto them, How many loaves have you? Go and see. And when they knew, they they said, Five and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all to sit down by the companies upon the green grass. They sat down in ranks by hundreds and fifties, And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and brake the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of the fishes. And they did eat of the loaves, they that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. Five loaves, two fish wouldn't feed this crowd. (laughs) Unless it was a big fish. But the scripture tells us it was a boy's lunch. It had to be something miraculous to happen in order for the need to be met. There had to be a, without a doubt, a move of God in order for this to be accomplished. And so, how does it happen? Jesus prayed. He prayed to the God that could answer a prayer that size. Now that's a big prayer. That's that's a big prayer. We 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 pray all kind of prayers, don't we? But Jesus prayed a prayer that only God could answer. 
You say, well, he was God. Yes, he was God, but he was man. He was in the flesh, and he needed what the Spirit could do at that moment. And so he prayed that God Almighty would open up the heavens, would multiply the bread in his hands. And when he prayed, what did he do next? What did he do next? Scripture said he broke it. You see, when we pray, then we need to take action. Action based on what we have asked for, what we believed will happen, and he began to peel the bread off. (laughs) I'm not sure exactly what happened at that moment, Brother Joe, but was it that he gave a piece of bread to John and to Philip, and then every time they, they passed out? I'm not sure, I'm just about positive Jesus didn't break off a piece of bread for everybody in the crowd. You ever think about that? He put the miracle in the hands of the people. And he said, now you go feed them. You go reproduce the miracle that I just did. And they began to feed the multitude. That's, that's God's size. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 through 19. The apostle Paul writes, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant to you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with his might, by his, by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may able to com- be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height, and to know the love of God which passeth knowledge. You might be filled with all the fullness of God. I remember, uh, I don't remember a whole lot about making good grades in school. I just know I did early on. But along about the sixth grade, I, I somewhere was impressed that being a smart student was a sissy thing. And I set out to prove that I wasn't a sissy. And so by the time I finished the sixth grade, they just pushed me to the seventh because I don't really think I passed. I I used to remember how many F's I had on my report card that year. I mean, that was going from grades one through five being on the honor roll. But I decided I wasn't going to be a sissy. I was mixed up. Yeah, I agree. I made it through the sixth grade. The seventh grade, my teacher, Mr. Karam, said, if you keep going like this, you're not going to pass the eighth grade. And he was a true prophet. I kept fooling around, and I didn't pass the eighth grade. I repeated it. 
made it through the ninth grade, made it through the tenth grade. In the tenth grade, I, I had a wake-up moment. And I said, I can do this. But, you know, I opened up my notebooks, and it was late in the year, and my notebooks were blank. I hadn't taken any notes. I hadn't studied. I hadn't. I remembered the boy in grade school that made good grades. <laughs> and I knew I could do it, but, you know, there's foundations. You know, you learn this thing, and then you learn that thing. And, then, and I had not paid attention to all of that. So when it came time to start the 11th grade, I went to work at the sawmill. I didn't seek counsel. I, I just, I just guess I just opted out to take second best. And then Brother Carroll encouraged me, and I went and got my general education diploma about the same time I would have graduated from high school. It became necessary at that point because you just couldn't hardly get a job without at least a, an equivalency to diploma. And so I did that. I, 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 tear, I share that story with you, not because I'm proud of that, but it kind of addresses our humanity that often we just accept second best. We settle for much less than we could have. Somewhere along life's way, I just accepted that I didn't have to be a high achiever. I didn't have to be up there in the upper echelon. I, I decided to walk a lower path. Sad part is many times it's a testimony of our walk with God. We live so far beneath our spiritual potential. God has promised us so much, so much more than we lay claim to. He offers us so much. We find it evident in our faith. We find it evident in our witness. It's evident in how we feel about ourselves. But it's especially evident in our prayer life. I've been compelled to pray more, to pray more often, to, to pray longer, to pray harder. And all of that is good, but sadly what I sometimes find in my prayer life is I'm praying the same thing over and over and over again. Anybody been there? You know, we, we should all pray more often. We should, we should all pray longer and we should pray harder, but my message to you tonight is it's time that we pray God size prayers. The kind that Jesus prayed when he took the bread in his hand and he had 5,000 people to feed with five loaves of bread. Now that's a prayer that nobody in the crowd could answer. That's a prayer that you couldn't just say, well, maybe it happened, maybe it didn't happen. You know, sometimes our prayers are kind of that way. We pray so small that nobody would notice if we didn't get an answer. And God has so much more for us. Can I get a witness in the house? So I want to talk tonight about praying bigger. 
I, I, I hope that by the time we leave here tonight, we, we have embraced it. I don't want Indian Village to settle for something less and just be like I was when I was in school that, well, uh, I just don't have it together. I'm just going to quit. And I'll find something else that is almost as good as getting my high school diploma. Just settle for a little less. I'm afraid we do it too often in our spiritual life. And Jesus has so much more for us. His word is full of promises. Promises that too often we never lay claim to. We never possess simply because we settle for less. You ever felt like you were into a situation that was way over your head? Something that you have no control over? You, know, you don't know what's going to happen next. I, I remember when I went to uh, Brother Carly Jackson was down in Grenada and we went down there and from, from the hilltop of Grenada you could look down and there was that Caribbean sea and bay there and there was blue and green water and I mean you could just see down and, and so I, he and I decided we were going to scuba dive and uh, man I had always dreamed of that uh, Brother Wade, you know, we, we'd hit the river. We'd always get underwater, and we'd see who could swim the furthest. We'd get the blue hole, and we'd hold our breath, swim all the way across the river under the water. That's fighting the current and everything. And, just, and man, when we could accomplish that, we, yeah, we, were, we were it, you know. And I always came home with red eyes because I, I swam with my eyes open underwater. Just, I just wanted to see, but, I mean, the river... Calcasieu River, you don't see much. <laughs> but here was my opportunity. I was in that beautiful, clear water. And, and so we enrolled in a, a course, and they trained us for 30 minutes. I later learned that from a real scuba diver, he said, that's dangerous. He said, you should have at least had three weeks of training. But, you know, I put all this apparatus on. I had these big old tanks and had all this stuff and put all that gear on. They put that on your face, and, and we're standing in a swimming pool, and they said, okay, go underwater. And I put my head under, and immediately I just I panicked. I just drugged my head out of the water, and I, I had all this stuff. I was breathing through, and I couldn't breathe, I thought. And I said, that's crazy. I can do this. And so I, I, I conquered it. I, I, put, I could put my head under the water in the swimming pool. And, and we did that, and we did the 30-minute training. And so we got on a boat, and we went out, and they said, okay, this is where we bail off the boat. And so we fell out and into the water, and we're swimming. And we get down there, and, man, you're just looking around, swimming. 30 feet under the water, going down, you know. And then all of a sudden, my water gets in, in my mask there, you know, where I'm supposed to be breathing. And so they, they gave us a method that was supposed to be able to clear that. It wasn't working. <laughs> and so my instructor, he was very on top of it. He, 
he was watching us and he had given us hand signals that if we got in trouble, if he, he would do this to us and we'd go back to him like this. And, and if we did like this, I found out what that meant because he did this to me and I, I said, and I mean, he was there immediately. He hit a button on my vest. It inflated and poof, I went to the top. And I could breathe. And uh, he said, uh, you okay? I said, yeah. He said, you had enough or you want to go back down? I said, I think I've had enough. I said all that to say, I was in over my head, <laughs> literally under the water, but I was in a situation where I wasn't fully trained, I wasn't fully capable to deal with what went wrong. I could, I could handle the swimming underwater, I could see, I could do all that, but I couldn't handle the situations that would go wrong. You ever feel that way? You, you have things go wrong and you just can't seem to fight your way through it. You just, you're wrestling with it, you're struggling. And... Uh, I, I just didn't want to get to the place where I just totally lost it underwater <laughs> because I'd have been drinking water instead of breathing air in just a little bit. I, I still don't quite remember what I was supposed to do. Of course, that's been quite a few years ago now. But th there was a simple way he showed us. He did, one thing he said before we started, just stay calm. <laughs> yeah, just stay calm. But when the water gets above your nose, in your mask, how do you stay calm? Well, it didn't work. I was over my head. I was out of my comfort zone. And I felt like I was about to drown quickly. Sometimes we pastors feel that way. We're asking ourselves, how do we get the church moving in the direction that we feel it needs to go. How, how do we proceed from here? And I have learned this much in time that it's okay. It's not my church, it's God's. <laughs> if he can't move it, I sure can't. <laughs> it's, a, it's that thing of we find the relinquished control and let God have it. And so it is in every one of our lives. The Apostle Paul felt that way. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8, he said, Unto me, who am less than the least of all the saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things, by Jesus Christ. The apostle said, here I am. The least, the very least of the saints probably felt that way because of what he was B.C., before Christ. That he had persecuted the church. That he had imprisoned the saints. That he had caused people to lose their lives trying to get them to recant their relationship with Jesus Christ. But he said, I'm called to preach the unsearchable riches of God. 
My duty, he said, is to make plain what God has been doing behind the scenes from the beginning of the world. The Apostle Paul described this as a mystery because he wasn't sure that he could get everybody to understand that God has big plans for each of them. Each of them such as it was in the beginning of time. Paul, in essence, was in over his head. He was concerned about it. He was concerned about the Ephesian saints. He was concerned that they would not reach their full potential in Christ. Paul didn't want the Ephesian church to just live average lives. He wanted to get them connected with God's plan and purpose. In our text, the the Apostle Paul records his struggle that he had trying to grasp the fullness of God's plan. Here we are 2,000 years later reading this letter that the Apostle wrote and things haven't changed in 2,000 years. The preacher still preaching about things that are over his head. I remember the day that Wayne McLean was preaching and he was just flowing in the anointing of the Lord and he hollered back to the sound man, I hope you've got this recorded because I've never heard this before. He was in over his head. Revelation was coming as he was preaching and he wanted to hear it later. He wanted to hear what he said because he was just flowing and it was just coming out of him as God was speaking through him. As much as perhaps the Apostle Paul maybe was in over his head, he didn't recant. He didn't back up. He penned what the Holy Ghost said for him to pen. And he declared it. He said that he, God, would grant to you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the rest of the saints what is the breadth, the height, the depth, the love, and the height of, to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. (laughs) We're going to visit this in a little bit, so think about it. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The Apostle Paul was asking, praying that they would comprehend the uncomprehendable. (laughs) That's what he was asking. It was a big prayer. He was not praying small prayers. He was praying a big prayer. He said, I want you to know, God, how big he is. The prophet Isaiah said, don't you know? That he sits on the circle of the earth. <laughs> he said that, that men are as grasshoppers. <laughs> How big is your God? <laughs> How big is God in your mind? The psalmist David said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Make him big. <laughs> You'll never make him big as he is. Because we don't have 
the comprehension. We don't have the full knowledge. But should we sit here and say, because I don't have it, this is as far as I'm going? Or should we be, as the apostle was encouraging, that he said, I'm praying this kind of prayer that you could comprehend the uncomprehendable God, that you could know the unsearchable. He said it's unsearchable, but I'm praying that you could search it out. In the human level, you can't know it. But in the spiritual dimension, you can know it. Praying God size prayers. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm praying that you will go into an area that it's unknowable, but I'm praying that you'll know it. Can you know the love of God? It's breadth, it's height, it's depth. How big is God? How wide his vast domain? How big is he? Have you taken a journey to the west, to the east, to the height, to the depth of God? Have you pursued him? You can, the Apostle Paul said, I'm praying that you take the journey. I'm praying that you go that way. You see, You can't obtain the unthinkable. But the apostle says, the Spirit is motivating us. Holy men of old spake, wrote, as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So the apostle was moved by the Spirit to push the Ephesian church. And and since the letter was preserved for us, it's our letter as well. And he's pushing us into the unthinkable, into the impossible for us to quest, for us to lay hold. Paul was praying God-sized prayer. He joined ranks with Jesus when Jesus looked up with five loaves and two fishes and 5,000 people to feed and said, God bless this. It's a big prayer. Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? I have a God that specializes in those things thought impossible. There's so much real estate between the size of our God and the size of our prayer. It's time for us to claim that territory. It's time for us to move beyond the prayers that we pray that if we didn't get an answer, we wouldn't be disappointed. And the prayers we pray that when they happen, everybody will know it was a God thing. A God thing. I'm looking at a crowd. We have those 
prayers that we need to pray. The enemy of our soul would say, no, don't go there. Somebody posted on Facebook this week, I think it was Bucky, uh, said, faith seems laughable. It seemed that way for Noah until it started to rain. You know, he believed it was going to happen. He built the boat because he believed it was going to happen. Nobody else believed it. They thought he was dumb, stupid, but then it rained. And so when we pray those kind of prayers and we share them, we may get laughed at, we may get ridiculed, but when the answer comes, everybody will know, to God be the glory. A text was shared with me today. I rejoiced in it. I commended the man that wrote the text, but I concluded it with, To God be the glory. It was an area of prayer that we had been together in. And he was testifying how the prayers were being answered. And I rejoiced with him. But it was God that got the glory. I think we need to step into an area for God to get some glory. He has put the situation in our life. He has put the circumstance in our life. He's just there waiting for us to do the praying, to speak the word, to declare, God, I believe you're going to do this. 1 Corinthians 2, 5, the apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church, He was challenging them just like he did the Ephesians. He said that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For they, had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But it is written, Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of men the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them to us by his Spirit. For the Spirit, the Holy Ghost, searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. So, we live in a world where knowledge has exploded. It's just, it's, it's advancing at such a rapid rate. Sadly, there's no faith in it. There's not a faith-building component in it. It's knowledge. It accomplishes many things on this level. But our faith does not come in the wisdom of this world. But our faith comes through the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word. Because you know what? 
the knowledge of this world, what we learn today, we'll learn something tomorrow that defeats what we learned today. <laughs> you know, one day you, you can't eat eggs, and the next day they said you should eat more. One day it says, don't take this, and the next day it says, take two of them. It's just all this kind of wisdom in our world today. And after a while, we just become like, what do I believe out there? You know, what, what do I trust? But the Word of God is forever settled. You can believe it. You can, it's not going to change. It's trustworthy. So God wants to reveal His secrets to us through His Spirit. If you have the Holy Ghost, you can know the unknowable, you can search the unsearchable, and you can reach the unreachable. If you start praying, God sized prayers. God sized prayers. The Apostle Paul, after, after he was admitting that he was asking for the unknowable, he finishes it with this word from the Lord. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. In other words, Lord, I'm asking you for the impossible because I know you are able to do exceeding abundantly above everything I ask. He's able. Turn to your neighbor and say, He's able. So that's how we need to pray. Some of us are barely making it. We wonder how we got through the day. We're squeaking by. We're just managing to hold on. Our, our prayers are settling for answers that, well, it might just happen to anybody who's not even praying. I'm not making light of our prayer. I'm glad we're praying. But we need to pray for the deep things of God. We need to pray and know the height and the depth of God's plan, His will. What He wants to reveal, how He wants to work on our behalf. God is waiting for us to pray some impossible things. That's why it is so important that we pray in the Spirit. Because there's times we don't know what to say. The Scripture said, the Spirit prayeth through us. Groanings, speaking in another tongue. The beautiful part is when you begin to pray in another language, the devil doesn't know what you're saying. <laughs> it's a God language. I hope to pray, play Brother Darrell Weber's Message that he said, let's have a Pentecost. And I think he said the statistics show that one in five Americans speak in tongues. I'm talking about spiritual experience. So don't, don't ever 
be embarrassed about your tongue-talking experience. There's a world outside of Pentecost that is hungry for it and reaching for it. And if we're not careful, we're going to fold our hands and become denominationalism. I almost called it for what it was, dominationalism. God will not share his glory with another. And he wants glory. And the only way he can truly get glory is when we take it to that level that it's a God-sized prayer that only he can answer and he will get the glory. You know anything like that in your life? You know anything that when it happens, it's going to be declared God did it? <laughs> yeah. You can reach it. You can know it, and you can achieve the unthinkable. There's prayers to be answered. You, you, you can pray for a $10 million gift to be in your mailbox. You, you can pray for that, but it probably won't happen. I've probably prayed more than once that my hair would grow back. But that wasn't God's plan for my life. Scripture said you have not because you ask amiss. I remember the guy that's almost completely bald now telling me one day, God's going to get my hair back. It didn't happen. You know, that just wasn't God's plan. What, what we need to find out is what, what is God's plan? And pray according to his will. When we pray according to his will, we can have faith, that it will happen. He's not interested in your, your lust, the things that you lust after in the flesh, certain kind of car, certain kind of house, certain kind of clothes. Uh, uh, no. He's going to supply your need. I said he's going to supply your need. But he didn't say it would be a Lexus to drive. He didn't say it would be a $400,000 home. He didn't say all that. If he has blessed you with that, rejoice, thank God, give him the glory for it. But we need to pray according to his will. Joshua was fighting a battle for the Lord. He was leading the children of Israel in the battle, and it was getting dark. He was winning, and it was getting dark. And he knew it was the will of God to win the battle. And he said, hey, God, we need some more daylight. Sun, you stand still over there. Moon, you stand still over there. We got a battle to fight. And for a day, everything stopped. You know why you have a leap year? Joshua prayed. It had to be put in the calendar. That's the only way they could make it fit. But Joshua was praying according to the will of God. Also in that increment is there Hezekiah's prayer. When he prayed, the prophet said, well, what do you need for a sign from the Lord to, that God's going to really do this in your life? He said, well, if I prayed for the sun to move forward on the sundial, he said, if I prayed for it, that wouldn't be too big a thing. So have God move it back. I forget, six degrees, something like that, he said. And so it happened. God moved it back. 
And so when they work with our calendar and time, they have to make allocations for Joshua's prayer and Hezekiah's prayer. What kind of prayer are you praying? I got to thinking about this this morning. I said, God, I want you to put a fire on top of this building. People in the community said, I saw your church was on fire. They said, well, what would that do? Well, it would get their attention to the house of God to let them know there's a fire on the inside. I said, God, when they pass on the road out here, Make them come back and drive through it again to see. What was that I felt? I felt something. I remember when uh, Irv and Hazel came to church. They were backsliders from the St. Paul Church. We were in Bloomington. It's probably, I don't know, 30, 45 minutes from Bloomington to St. Paul Church there. They were living in our where we started the church and they would drive by the church and they said they felt something drawing the pool that was there. We was praying, God, let your spirit get out in the street. Let your spirit be out there and draw them in. And so they came in and God renewed them in the Holy Ghost. Hazel had was a district superintendent's daughter in Florida and uh, she had gone away from God many, many years ago, cold, hard. And uh, she said, one night we were having a great service, and she, she said, I want to be baptized again. She said, when I got baptized as a child, it was on a challenge. One girl, we dared each other to get baptized. They were about nine years old. And so she said, I wasn't going to be out there. I got baptized. She said, I want to get baptized. She, she was so excited at, at, at her age then. I forget how old she was. Seemed old then, but now looking back, she was putting that old maybe. But I guess anybody older than me was old then. But it was, she was about to get in that horse tank with her high heel shoes on. She was so excited to be baptized. It all started because the Spirit of God got out in the road attracted them and drew them. I'm going to pray God-sized prayers. I'm going to pray that God does the supernatural. The things that He can be pleased with. So pray for your children. Pray for one another. Pray for health. Pray for safety. Pray for provision. Pray for salvation. Why don't you just remind the Lord that you found Zacchaeus up a tree. I want you to find my child. I want you to call my child from the tree. I want you to call them from wherever they are. I want you to put that hunger in them that they want to see you. I want you to do the same thing in their life. Pray those kind of prayers. And God will be moved. God will answer. Let's stand together. Pray a God-sized prayer. Can you think of one that needs prayer? Can you think of 
something that you need that your brother can't help you, the government can't help you, only God. Only God. Why don't we pray it right now? Why don't we just pray it right now in the name of Jesus? Father, you see tonight there are situations, Lord, in this body of believers, in this house tonight, God, that only you can answer, Lord. We know that we're not praying amiss. It's in your will. It's in your plan. You said pray that you be healed. And so we're believing, God, for your healing touch, Lord. I pray for those, Lord Jesus, whose feet have turned away, that, God, their heart would be drawn back to you. We've seen you do it before. We'll know, we're knowing, God. We're knowing that you're going to do it again, God. In the name of Jesus, tonight, right where they are, Pull them, Lord Jesus. Draw them, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord. Bring somebody with you this Sunday to the house of God.